where we all live with uh, the common assumption that we should live the good life, get a decent education, be liked by our friends, have a, have a good job, get a nice place to live, we'll be the best parents. And that suffering and weakness should be avoided. Anything that gets in the way of that life is wrong and harmful. We put all our energy and resources into achieving that good life, which therefore means that weakness is looked down upon and has no place. So we'll cover up our weaknesses. We won't publicize them. Imagine applying for a job and being completely upfront with your weaknesses, saying, I struggle with, with talking about people behind their backs. My body odor tends to peak at about three o'clock during summer. And if I make a mistake, I'll be sure to remind you that it was a group project. We even hide our weaknesses from our friends. Like people can't possibly know I'm struggling or they'll think less of me. That can be mental weakness, financial weakness, physical weakness, whatever weakness that may be, we'll naturally want to cover it up. Uh, why do we cover weakness up? Because there's a fear of being found out as a fraud that you're not as great as you say you are. And all of us have felt like frauds and failures at some point along the path of life. And there's the very real possibility that right now you're thinking, if people really knew how much of a failure and fraud I am, then they'd want to run a million miles away from me. If people really knew what was going on in your mind, they'd think less of you. The temptation in weakness then is to, to just give up, pack it all in, lose heart. That temptation is there in the Christian life as well. You'd have more money if you're not a Christian because you wouldn't give a chunk of it to the church. You'd be accepted more with your friends. You wouldn't be the weird one anymore. You could even have a lion on a Sunday morning. But let me remind you that weakness is very much a part of the Christian life. It's easy, so easy, to lose heart when faced with trials and weaknesses because we've bought into this lie of the comfy life. Now let's not play down the reality of weaknesses. Our, our struggles are very real. But I want us to see tonight that we should not lose heart because of what we have been given. If you're trusting in Jesus, you have been given eternal life. Therefore, do not lose heart. Firstly then tonight, we've been given life. We've been given life. This is a gift from God, and we see this in verses 1 to 6. So right off the bat, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. If you've been here for the last three weeks, you'll know that that Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians as a defense of his ministry. There have been attacks against Paul with people saying he's not that impressive a guy. His message is too simple and, and it can't be that good if he's not even been able to take an income from what he's been preaching. But because he's preaching the genuine gospel, an attack on Paul is an attack on the gospel itself. And he's getting attacked from every side. So how on earth can he say, we do not lose heart? Well, last week in chapter 3, 
we saw that Paul has been reminding the Corinthians that they've been given a ministry of righteousness and reconciliation. That is, the ministry of life. If you trust in Jesus, you are being renewed and transformed. You reflect God's glory and are being made into his likeness. You've been given this life. And Nathan reminded us last week that this ministry is made, done, made by Christians who've been made competent, not by ourselves, but through God. This is a gift through God's mercy. It is yours. Therefore, do not lose heart. Now, we can't avoid the fact that the heat is being turned up against Christians in this country. We're losing positions of influence and need to acknowledge our minority position. There's no mainstream political party fully consistent with Christian truth, and there's no silent majority secretly on our side. So we could face up to the current situation and and easily feel like giving up and, and losing heart. Any other group may do so if they found themselves in a similar position. But Paul says here, you have the ministry of life. Therefore, do not lose heart. The easy thing to do in a position like this would be to start changing the message of the gospel. To preach something that would be a bit more palatable to our culture's ears. This is what Paul's opponents are doing. They're they're distorting the word of God, distorting the message. And dragging Paul's name through the mud while they're doing it. Have a look down with me at verse 2. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul has taught the Corinthians by setting the truth before them in a plain and simple way. Yet it seems that his opponents are claiming that he's guilty of secret and shameful things whilst peddling their own message at the same time. Now we know this isn't unique to Paul. If you explain the gospel today, you can be expected to be called a variety of things. Out of date, sexist, bigoted, hateful, irrelevant. Even when you've not explicitly explained the gospel, the mocking can still come. You may or may not accept the authority of GQ magazine, Gentlemen's Quarterly, but they recently published an article listing 21 famous books that you don't have to read. And then for every book you don't have to read, they provide an alternative, supposedly better one to read instead. Now on their don't have to read list was the Bible. And they wrote this about it. Overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. It is repetitive, self-contradictory, sententious, foolish, and even at times ill-intentioned. Now, it's just GQ magazine, and it's not read by everyone, but we know that what's said there is the prevailing attitude uh, towards Christianity today. Rather than the Bible, they recommend that you read a go to Christoph's The Notebook, a marvelous tale of two brothers who have to get along when things get rough. Sounds sweet, but it's not truth. That's not going to get you real life. Sure, we could do more things to get people in the doors and change this attitude. We could ignore sin to make people like us more. We could say that God will always give you what you want in order to please more people. We could say that it doesn't matter what you think about God as long as you're nice to other people. 
but we're not in the business of distorting the Word of God. Our job as Christians isn't to get people to like us and for us to have an easy life, but to speak the truth of the Bible plainly because we have this gift of life and want others to have it too. So keep meeting here together in midweek. Keep, keep reading your Bibles. Keep praying. Keep telling each other the gospel. Keep reminding yourself. You have been given life. So keep going. Keep doing that also because we have an enemy. Look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, the war against death is won. We, we know the outcome. God wins. But our enemy, the God of this age, Satan, will try and drag as many people down with him while he can. And his tactic here is very clever. It says he blinds people's minds. The mind is where Many battles are won and lost, and, and no one likes being wrong. So to blind the mind is a, is a powerful, powerful weapon. But let's remember that Satan's power is limited because of who we preach. Look at verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Paul has such confidence in his message to open blind minds because at the center of his message is Jesus. By himself, Paul has no power to convert people. We have no power to convert people. But God does. The power to open blind minds comes from preaching Jesus and him as Lord. And it's the same power we're told here that turned the lights of the universe on way back in Genesis 1. And as Jesus is preached, we're serving other people. We become their servants for Jesus' sake because that is what we are called to do. And much of what Paul writes here in this opening section links back to his own conversion experience on the Damascus Road with him talking about light and darkness and shining and blindness. He knows firsthand the power of the gospel. His own mind was blind before Jesus dramatically opened it for him on that road and saved him. And so the only thing he will ever preach is Jesus Christ as Lord because only in Jesus do we receive life. And that life is in you. So in this world where the gospel is getting attacked left, right and center, with people from blind minds, how, how do you not lose heart? How do we not lose heart? Remember what you've been given. If you're trusting in Jesus, you have been given life. Now, this isn't to say that life will always be easy and comfortable. This ministry of life displays itself through our own weaknesses. So, secondly, we are weak. We are weak. This is from verse uh, 7 through to 12. This is a very precious, precious truth that God would choose to display his power and glory through our ordinary lives. Have a look down at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Again, Paul wants to remind the Corinthians that he's not preaching about himself. This surpassing power to bring life is not from us humans, it's from God. Yet God puts that life into us, that power of the gospel into us. We are the jars of clay. Now that's really humbling to be called a clay pot. We normally like to go about our day acting strong. You can base your strength in, in a few things. You know, going to the gym, being liked at work, raising a family, starting your own business, or being right all the time. Whatever it may be, we can easily think of ourselves as strong. How can Paul call me a clay pot? I'm not fragile. It's not insulting to be called a clay pot when you take a realistic look at life. We're affected what people say about us. Our days can be ruined by not having a cup of coffee. We all need sleep. We're all getting older. We've all got friends that have drifted away, and our, our bodies like to find new places to ache. If you deny weakness, it's only going to be a matter of time before it comes and finds you. We are jars of clay. However, however, within our perishable bodies, we hold priceless content. These jars of clay hold the treasure of life that's been given to us by God. And this life works through our weakness. Paul doesn't cover up his weaknesses. He's not ashamed to admit them. There's no, how are you? I'm fine with Paul. Look at verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. This this is a great thing about Paul's writing. It gives an honest assessment of life. He doesn't pretend that everything is a bunch of roses. He's publicly acknowledging, I am weak. His difficulties are, are on display for all to see. Yet he does not lose heart because he knows the power of the gospel within him. He is hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. But he's not crushed. He's not despairing. He's not abandoned. And he's not destroyed. Because God is with him and genuine life is at work. Through Paul's weaknesses, he's come to see the glory of God more and more. And been able to encourage the Corinthians more. Paul is not powerful, but God is. And God has worked through Paul's weaknesses to bring life to the Corinthian church. Your your weakness is a gift if you want God to get the glory. And if you want God to be honored and for Christians to depend on God more and more, then you won't mind being weak if God's glory is displayed. And maybe we we need to acknowledge our weakness more so that we depend on God more. Uh, This hit home to me in quite an abrupt way last year. I was doing well at work and had to cover a vacant position for a few months and ended up having three line managers for half the year and was relying on my own strength. But I was being stretched and stretched and stretched in 
so many different areas that I cracked and broke down. I'd never experienced anything like this before. Uh, my body just physically couldn't carry on. I couldn't get up. You know, I had to take so much pride in having a fit and healthy body that for it to not to function properly added to the shock of it all. And all the stress and weakness came out in endless floods of tears. My weakness hit me square in the face. But God was working in that. He didn't abandon me, but taught me to depend on him more. Now, God loves to bless us and be good to us, absolutely. But sometimes those blessings come to us in ways that, that we wouldn't have chosen for ourselves. But then we come out the other side of a rough time with so much more joy and dependence in God than we had before. Now, I see this in, in Life Group as well. One of the precious things in Life Group, along with sharing things to be thankful for, is, is sharing our weaknesses and, and things that we're struggling you know, we've had such precious times praying for each other when, when things have been hard. Seeing people give such praise to God through those weaknesses, through those struggles, is, is testament to the life of God working in them, and it's great to see. Those who've suffered the most are often those who reveal the life of Jesus the most. And it's wrong to buy into the lie that, that weakness and suffering have no place in life. They're very much a part of it. And those who know weakness and suffering the most have the most amazing ability to sympathize, love, and point other people to Jesus. This is what Paul's getting at in, in verse 11 and 12. For we who are alive are always be, being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now, Paul has just listed all these ways he is being given over to death in those previous verses. Those very real sufferings are the cost of his ministry. But through Paul's weakness and through his mortal body taking a battering, the life of God has taken a hold in the Corinthians. When we bear the cost of the Christian life and are hard-pressed and become aware of our jars of clay bodies and our weakness being given over to death in the ministry of life, God can use that. God can use your weakness, as verse 11 says, so that life may be revealed. As I said before, if you want God to be honored and for Christians to depend more and more on God, then you won't mind being weak if God's glory is displayed. It's so easy to think that, that God could never use you because of your weakness. That somehow we're of no use to his kingdom and that he should have chosen someone who could offer something, who's stronger or braver and knew the words to say. But the beauty of the gospel is that we've got nothing to offer God anyway. We are weak. Now, if you see and know your weaknesses, you've got a clear picture of what life is really like. I'm becoming more and more convinced that the weaker we see ourselves, the, the greater and more precious and bigger God becomes to us. And at the same time, the bigger your view of God and the greater you see him, the more you'll be aware of your own weakness. Weakness is the way of the Christian life 
because it is God who is strong and God who gives life, not us. We are weak, but we have been given life. Our weakness is no barrier to the gospel. The weaker you'll know yourself to be, the the more praise you'll give to God. We did nothing to earn eternal life. We've got nothing to offer God that could earn us eternal life anyway. It's God who comes to us in our weakness and puts life in you, puts that eternal life in us. So no matter how depressed or anxious you may be, how much flack you've had to take for being a Christian or, or how weak you feel now, you will never be abandoned because God is with you. Life is at work in you. Life is at work through your weaknesses. This is an incredible gift. And to keep reminding yourself of this life, look to eternity. This is the third point tonight. Look to eternity from verse 13 to 18. What looking to eternity enables you to do is to face up to weakness right now and say, yes, this is rubbish. I'm weak. But life is at work in me and it's at work in others and one day I will live forever in a place with no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. And that is what I will fix my eyes upon. And so we need to remind ourselves of the gospel. And we can do this by speaking. Have a look with me at verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know the one that raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. I haven't touched on it much tonight, but death is the ultimate weakness. It's the final weakness. And it's a weakness that will affect us all. But it's a weakness that's been defeated. Paul was literally facing death here. But he still spoke the good news of the gospel to himself because he's going to be raised to life. The same spirit is at work in him, verse 13 and 14 say, that raised Jesus from the dead. So if you know and love Jesus... And you know that the war against weakness, the war against death itself, is a war that's already been won. Death is awful. Weaknesses are frustrating. But Jesus has been raised to life eternal, and that same spirit of life is in you. So look to eternity. And the great thing is, this is for your benefit. Verse 15 says, all this is for your benefit. All this, that's Paul striving to get the gospel to the Corinthians, suffering for it, and then receiving eternal life. God getting praised. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace of God that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, Paul does not mind being weak, as real as his weakness is, so that God gets the glory. Other people get saved and God gets praised. Now someone had to strive to get the gospel to you. And who benefited? You. Who benefits from eternal life? You do. 
Eternal life is for your benefit. So look to eternity and give thanks to God. And through all this, Paul can say in verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Because he knows what's ahead. He knows people are getting saved. And he knows he's going to be raised to life with the Corinthians. And that is such a great joy to him. And then he gives a summary of all he said in verse 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How can Paul say that our troubles are light and momentary? You may have been struggling for, for decades, which hardly feels light, let alone momentary. Now, it can be tough to see, but we must put these troubles on scales. Just picture for a moment how, how real your struggles and weaknesses are. They're weighty, they're real, they're tangible. But Paul says here that eternal glory far outweighs them all. Now you know the burden of weakness. Yet the promise here is that the weight of eternal life is so much weightier than the weight of troubles on earth. The joy you will one day know will be so thick and all-consuming that our troubles and weakness now will look light and momentary. One day you will be drenched in the weight of joy. It will tip the scales so far over in the weight of glory's favor than in weakness right now. And while our weakness is ugly and draining, verse 17 says we're, we're wasting away, take heart that we are being renewed day by day by day. Think of a house being converted. You know, you get the, the scaffolding that goes up around it. Poles go up bit by bit, sheets of tarpaulin, bits, bits out, uh, ripped out of the walls. It's pretty ugly. But beneath all that scaffolding, underneath all that scaffolding, there's, there's a great work going on. There's a house being renewed and transformed. And then one day the scaffolding comes off and reveals a, a beautiful, sleek new building. And so it is with us. Our weaknesses are like bits of scaffolding going up all around us. A pole sticking out here and a bit of us ripped out there. But inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And when you see Jesus face to face, the scaffolding will come off and you'll be incredible. You'll think, wow, God, you are working that in me? You are working in my weakness for my good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it would be so great if in a thousand years' time, a million years' time, we'll, we'll be in heaven together rejoicing. You know, saying to each other, this life we have here was worth the weakness on earth. I'm so glad we, we didn't lose heart. That would be so good. 
We are weak. But we have been given eternal life. That life works through your weakness. And so we look forward to eternity. Therefore, do not lose heart. You know, there can be the charge against Christians that we're just a bunch of weak people with a crutch. Well, yes, we are. But so what? God is strong, not us. So fix your eyes on him. This life on earth is temporary. Life with God is eternal. I want to end tonight by praying through Psalm 116. It's the verse, it's part of the the psalm that Paul quotes in verse 13 and contains many of the truths uh, that we've been looking at tonight. Um, So let me pray that and then we'll say amen at the end. After I've prayed, uh, then the music group are going to come up uh, and we'll sing our our closing songs. Uh, So let's pray together. I love the Lord. For he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. And then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen.